And our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 12, and we look particularly at two verses, verses 2 and 3. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures, and we pray, Father, that our hearts would be made meek and ready to receive the Scriptures for that which they truly are, the very words of God. Father in heaven, may we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are willing and obedient. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, sermon text is verses 2 and 3 of Genesis chapter 12, but I want to pick the reading up from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Genesis 11, verse 27, reading through to Genesis 12, verse 3. Hear the word of God. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Just briefly recounting that which we looked at last week. We looked at the fact last week that what God says of Abram before he called him, we find in Joshua 24 verse 2. And I'll read that to you, Joshua 24 verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other gods. Before Abram was called, Abram was, as his family was, an idolater. They served other gods. Ur of the Chaldeans was the centre of astrological worship. The moon, the stars, the sun. Idolatry. And those who were here last week would remember I described him as something of a God-conscious idolater. They knew about God. They knew about the promises that had been given to Noah. That's probably why they set out for Canaan in the first place. For God had promised to Noah that the descendants of Shem would rule over the Canaanites. But nevertheless, they were idolaters. God called Abram to leave everything behind. Country, family or clan. Indeed, even his own father's household. 
Separate yourself from all of these things from which you would have drawn comfort. Separate yourself from all of these things from which you would have built your identity. They are a tribal people. They were a primitive people. To separate yourself from your family lands, to separate yourself from your household. It's a radical call. And that word radical, it means to tear something up by the roots. God has called on Abraham to tear up his former life by the roots, to become a man of God, to become a man of faith, to abandon, as it were, the religion of his forefathers. We see in verses 2 and 3 that this call to radical obedience, this call to a radical departure, it comes with blessings and promises. It comes with blessings and promises. Now, Abraham or Abram at this time, he had none of the things that were promised, as it were, in his hand. He had none of them. He didn't hold the title deeds to Canaan in any worldly way. He didn't even have children. Remember, we just read verse 30 of Genesis chapter 11. Sarai was barren. They'd been married a long time. No children had come. Sarai was barren. He had no land. He had no expectation of ever owning in any worldly sense the land of Canaan. He had no children and he had no expectation in any worldly sense of ever getting children by the woman who was his wife. Yet God makes promises. God lays upon Abraham, as it were, blessings. I want us to have a look in the first instance at just a few things that are said here. First of all, looking in verses 2 and 3, I want to ask you, who's doing the work? Who's doing the things? Who's the active person? Who's the one upon whom all of these things rely? In English, there's this little two-word phrase. Look at it. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. The one who's doing the doing, the one who's sending forth power, the one who's executing his will, it is God. It's not Abraham or Abram. At this moment, this is not reliant upon the abilities, the intelligence, nor the strength of Abram. It's God who's doing the doing. Now, you say to me, but Abram must obey. Abram must receive the word and respond in obedience. And if he didn't respond in obedience, it wouldn't be done. Well, that's true. Of course it's true. God has chosen the means and God has chosen the ends. The means is that Abram will be made obedient. Abram has been called away from idolatry to the worship of the living God. Abram will be empowered. Abram will be strengthened. Abram will be built up in faith. Abram will be made a servant of the living God. And yet it's God who does it all. Think of your own lives, my friends, as a Christian. 
Do you do anything in obedience? Are there things that you do and you only do them because you're a Christian? Has your life changed? Tell me something. Would you be willing to hold up your hand and say, yes, and I do those things because I'm such a good person and I do them in my own power and strength? I see some of you smiling as if that's the silliest thing you've ever heard. Because it is. Abram will not do these things in his own power and strength. Remember, if God had left Abram alone, he was going to be a worshipper of the sun, the moon and the stars. God will do these things. They're certain. This is not pointless boasting. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 13 to 14, a person there who's speaking basically on behalf of the devil and with Satan's words in his mouth, a person there boasts of the things that he thinks that he will do. Turn along with me if you want to read them. Isaiah chapter 14. The words are addressed to a rebellious king whom God is crushing, the king of Babylon. The words are addressed to that king and that king speaks on behalf of his God and his God is not the living God. His God is the evil one. The, the words that are in the mouth of the rebellious king of Babylon are the words of his God and his God is the evil one. So look at the things he says. Isaiah chapter 14, and I'm going to read from verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, now hear the boasting. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like most high. One here presumes to speak as though he were God. One here presumes to speak in such a way that um, he's basically saying, because I've said it, it's going to happen. I'm saying it and therefore it must happen. But what does God say? But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. We'll leave it there. The boasting of a man, the boasting of a devil, the boasting of a wicked one. I will, I will, I will. I will make myself God. <laughs> wow. I will make myself God. How could someone make themselves God? God is uncreated. God is eternal. God is without beginning. God is without end. God is God. No one made God God. No part of God makes God God. I will, I will, I will. My friends, when people talk about what they think they're going to do and what they think they might or might not achieve and the wonderful things that they think their words can accomplish, I'm telling you, you're listening to fools. But when God says, when God says, I will, when God says, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, I will bless those who bless you, I will, and those who dishonour you, I will curse. And in you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. My friends, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. No one stands in the way of a sovereign God. God accomplishes his will. But what if Abraham's faith falters? God says, I will. What if Sarah remains barren? God says, I will. What if the children of Abraham falter in their obedience? God says, I will. I will, I will, I will. My friends, when God says, I will, we could even put it in the past tense. It has been done. We speak of being saved. I have been saved. Yet we still walk in this present evil age. We still walk in this world where we see the works of the evil one around us amongst the people, in the, in the midst of the people amongst whom we live. We still know the decay of our flesh. We still know that the way out of this life, lest the Lord returns, is that we will die and go on to be with the Lord. Yet we speak as being saved. It's been accomplished. It's been done. I will, says God. Those who are in Christ Jesus, I will. I will be with them. I will carry them. I will. So we speak of something that is in a way future tense. You know, I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. As though it's already been done. It's accomplished. God has said it. Therefore, my friends, take it as done. When God says, I will, my friends, take it as done. Let's look at another thing that I want us to consider. Consider the word bless. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Hebrew, in the, book of, in the book of Genesis from chapters 1 to 11, the word bless appears five times. In these two verses in the Hebrew, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, the word bless appears five times. What we call 11 chapters, the word is used five times in 11 chapters. What we call two verses, the word is used five times in two verses. What does that tell us? What do we consider here? How do we understand that? Think about it. God is a God who blesses. God blessed Adam and Eve and told them to multiply and fill the earth. God gave the same blessing to Noah. Multiply, fill the earth, take dominion over it. But in all that text, five times, Five times God spoke of blessing. And yet here in two verses, five times God speaks of blessing. The five blessings falling upon whom? Abram. Abram. You see, Abram is um, a focal point in Scripture, a change in God's ways of dealing with humanity. Abram is to become the father of many nations. Matthew 1.1. In our Bibles, it's the first verse of the New Testament. 
And what's the very first thing that the New Testament tells us? I'll read it to you. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. In terms of his humanity, Matthew wants us to know, first up, first up, take this into account. This man is the son of Abraham. This man is of the promised line. Abram is a focal point of what we call Old Testament or Old Covenant blessings. It's not as though God had not blessed humanity. God created the world and it was good. Rain and harvest in its seasons, all the beauty of creation that we all know, the beauty of the living animals that we see all around about us. It's not as though God was not blessing humanity, but God has a plan of saving people, of making people his own. And he's revealing that plan throughout redemptive history. From the start of the Bible to the end, we say from Genesis to Revelation. And the blessings, the blessings are being negotiated through this man, Abram. He's being set at the head of a covenant family. Think of it. Adam was set at the head of a covenant family. We called it the covenant of works. Those who can remember back to the beginning of the book of Genesis as we started to study it, I think, last year. The covenant of works, which required perfect obedience in order that Adam would continue and um, basically continue and become that which we could say God intended for humanity, the one who rules at the right hand of God. The covenant was broken. And then God makes a covenant with Noah and he gives him a covenant sign. The rainbow, the covenant with Noah, never again will I destroy the earth by flood. I will send the seasons in their time. You can rely upon this. You can plan your life around the seasons. There will be a time to plough, a time to sow, a time to harvest. God strikes up a covenant with Noah. But now with Abram, the blessings are, as it were, raining down, being poured out upon Abram. Another thing I want you to consider, and though the word itself is not necessarily found in this particular text, it's, it's promises, promises. I'm sure you know, I'm going to ask you the question anyway, but I'm sure you know the answer. What is, what is the number of divine fulfilment, completion or perfection? And I'm hoping you're thinking it's seven. It's seven. It's that number that appears so prominently throughout Scripture. Seven. Well, let's have a look at the promises. And I will make you a great nation. There's one. And I will bless you and make your name great. There's two. So that you will be a blessing. There's three. I will bless those who bless you. There's four. Him who dishonours I will curse. There's five. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's six. You've got to go back to the very tail end of the previous verse. To the land that I will show you. 
the promised land. There's the seven. Seven promises made to Abram. That number of divine perfection. God's hand is in this. He wants us to understand it. God's hand is in this. Those promises, those promises get passed on down through Isaac and to Jacob. Those promises, where would they find their fulfilment? Well, what does scripture tell us? In whom are all the promises of God fulfilled? They find their fulfilment in the Lord Jesus. He's the yes and the amen to all the promises of God. And as I've already pointed out, the very first verse of our New Testament tells us that Jesus is considered to be the son of Abram. In the Jewish way of thinking, that's incredibly important. Covenants run down through the family line. In the Jewish way of thinking, it's necessary that the genealogy of Jesus can be traced through David to Abram because the promises in the Old Testament come through Abram to David to Jesus. God is calling Abram to a changed life, a different life, a transformed life, the life of a child of God. There's a phrase or a a verse of scripture. I'm thinking of Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. It reads, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in a man who walks to direct his steps. Think of that. You make your choices. I make my choices. I walk out of my house. I walk to the car. I walk from the car to the church. I walk from the car to the shops. I'm making my choices. Aren't I? I'm doing that which God has given me the ability to do. On one level, you could say you direct your own steps. You choose whether to walk or where to ru- whether to run. You choose where to walk, where to run. You might choose not to walk. But the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. God has made Abram the father of the faithful. Galatians 3, 7 reads, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith. Now, we're sons of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and he is our elder brother. We will get that from Romans chapter 8. And it is into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are being transformed. We're definitely sons of God. We definitely have an inheritance that is of God himself. Imagine that. I don't know if you've got any hope of a worldly inheritance. I don't know if you've got any hope of parents leaving you anything. But consider this. In Scripture, we're not called simply people who have an inheritance of goods. Turn with me, actually, to Romans chapter 28. Our inheritance is God himself. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Heirs of God. I have a promised inheritance. I have a father who has promised me an inheritance. What's the inheritance? What's that promised inheritance? My father has promised me that he himself is my inheritance. He himself is my heritage. He himself is my gift, as it were. He himself is my gift of love. God has taken possession of me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, I have been given the power to take hold of God. Amazing. That should absolutely blow our minds. That should absolutely stun us, my friends. Should almost be trembling at that thought. Honestly. God is our inheritance. God is our future prosperity. God has allowed himself to be called our God. God has allowed we who are the blessed ones who share in the faith of Abraham to take hold of God and say, God is my inheritance. You see, just like Abram, we've been called to depart from the familiar, to depart from the world around us, to depart from that from which we might draw comfort. But God has not said, leave behind the good things that you once had hopes of and come into nothing. That's not what he said. Leave behind the good things that once you had hope of and come into me. Come to me. I am your future. I am your promised inheritance. God, the creator of the universe. God, the creator of the macro and the micro and the subatomic. Think of that. You know, we we look around about ourselves. We look at the things that we see um, in terms of astronomy, things, pictures that we might see on the Internet from the Hubble telescope and other such things. and, And we're just blown away. The enormous immensity of the universe in which we live, the scale, the organization that God has imposed upon it, the beauty that God has built into it. And it just blows us away. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But then, my friends, we get down into the microscopic and there we find that same manner of organisation, that same incredible um, design built into God's creation. And then if we get below microscopic into atomic and subatomic, you know, those amazing particles and all sorts of things that I honestly do not understand, yet they're organised. They operate according to particular laws. 
They operate according to the will of God. R.C. Sproul used to say there's not a molecule or an atom in the universe that's not obeying God's will at this moment. All according to the will of God. Think of the immensity. Think of the eternity. Try, if you can, to, to, to get some idea of the God whom we worship. Think of his power. By his power, he created all these things. By his power, he upholds all these things. Why do the laws still work? Because God says, let them work. Think of this, by his power, by the exercise of a thought, he can destroy all these things and bring them to absolutely nothing and not lose any of his own power. Not lose a thing. When I exert force, I wear myself out. When I do something, I get tired. The muscles ache. The brain slows down. Eventually, I've got to go to sleep. It's the same for you. It's not like that for God. God executes his will. God sends forth divine power and God loses nothing. Nothing whatsoever. This almighty God, the God of whom I'm now speaking, and I don't know if you feel I'm doing well or not. I'm not asking you that. But I'm telling you that even if you think I'm doing well, as I try to talk to you about God, what I'm doing is not even a speck of dust of good enough. It's not even a millimetre of good enough. Okay, no human being can really actually honestly get there. We're finite, trying to talk about and teach about and learn about and love the infinite. We're finite. You know, we're limited, trying to talk about the one who is not limited. None of us can get there. None of us can do the subject justice. But that God... That God whose power we cannot measure nor hope to understand. That God has said that he is our inheritance, our future hope. That God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, indwells us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they're indwelt by the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. For though the Holy Spirit be a person of the Godhead, Yet he is truly God, co-equal and co-eternal with God. He is of the same essence as God himself. And so, my friends, our hope for the future, our inheritance, the source of all our blessings is God and our blessings at this moment. The joy, the happiness, the peace that we may know, they're from God. And this spiritual life that we have, if you are in Christ, you have been granted life. You have been born again. You have been made regenerate. The seed that is the word of God has been brought to life within you. And God indwells you. The same God, creator of the universe, in all its greatness, in all its minute complexity, God indwells you by the power of his Holy Spirit. God's blessings are poured out upon you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the son of Abraham. And we share in the blessings of the faith of Abraham. Blessed beyond all measure. I'll ask you a question. Be honest. 
Do you forget that? I do. Do you forget that? Do you forget that you're blessed beyond all measure? Do you look at the way the world is going? And do you look at the way the people around you, through submitting to the world, seem to be receiving all the benefits and all the happiness and it's all going their way? And do you forget that God is your inheritance and God is the source of your blessings and that you have been blessed beyond all measure? Because I do. I'm admitting to you, I'm confessing a sin here before you, my brothers and sisters, I do. I forget how blessed I am in Christ. You know, I look at this country and I see things that are breaking my heart and I see things that are making me angry. Things that I want to fight against, if only I knew how. I am blessed beyond all measure. And whenever God takes me out of this world and into his presence through Jesus Christ, my Lord, where I look upon the face of my Saviour and get to worship at his feet, I'll have some awareness of the blessings that God has poured out upon me. Some awareness of what it means to say that God is my inheritance, that I share in the faith of Abraham. That in human terms, I'm a son of Abraham because I share the faith of Abraham. And my friends, if you are in Christ, so do you. So do you. What would the world be if God did not intervene? What would the world be if God were not sovereign? What would the world be if God were not gracious and merciful? It would be an unlivable hell. An unsurvivable hell. The evil one and his minions would be unrestrained. People would be his utter and complete slaves. Idolaters and wicked. Unrestrained in their evil. But my friends, God butts in. God made the earth. God created mankind to bear his image. And God has not abandoned us, even to our wickedness and to our sins. God butts in. God tinkers with the universe. God tinkers with his creation. He tinkers with the earth and he tinkers with the hearts of men. That invisible hand, it reaches in and does things that no person can do. But God can do it. And God grants life where there was death. And God dwells by the power of his Holy Spirit in the hearts of his people. And we are the temple of the living God, both individually and collectively. That's why it's so wonderful to see you here today. That's why it's so wonderful that we sing the praises of God together. That's why it's so wonderful that we offer up our prayers in the name of Jesus together. That's why it's so wonderful that we have the communion meal. These things are blessings, my friends, and we're blessed beyond all measure. And when we forget that, 
When we forget that, we're sinning. We really are. As I said, I've confessed to you I'm a sinner. Sometimes I forget that. It seems especially now. I can't escape the conviction that my nation is at this moment under the judgment of God. And sometimes I forget just how blessed I am because I'm not under the judgment of God because I'm in Christ Jesus and I have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and God is my inheritance. And all that the world has and all that the world offers, the lust of the flesh, the pride of the eyes, all that the world offers, God can take it away like that. But the blessings that he has poured out upon his own people are eternal and never to be lost because they are found in God through Jesus Christ, his son. And you say, how much of this did Abraham understand? How much of this did Abraham know? Well, let's have a look at what scripture tells us. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's pick it up at verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, just hold that little bit in your mind. He was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Let's keep reading. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So let's just consider that which we have read in Hebrews 11. What did Abraham know by faith? He knew that he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. His promise was not just that he would receive something in the world. I'm sorry, his his faith or his hope in the promise was not just that he would receive something in the world. When he offered up Isaac, when he offered up the one 
whom God had promised and through whom God had said the promises would be fulfilled. His faith was that God could even raise him from the dead. Verse 19 of Hebrews 11, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And he's gone to the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised. And yet he knew that there was a better country. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Canaan was the promised land. It was where God said the promises would be fulfilled. It was where God said your children will inherit this land. Everywhere you walk, everywhere that you, everywhere that you set your foot, I've given it to you and your descendants. Yet even then, Abraham knew that there was more. There's something more than a few acres of ground upon, a, upon this land. Upon this world, I should say. No, there's a heavenly country, a heavenly country. And in that that heavenly country, there's a prepared city, a place for the people of God to dwell. How much did Abraham knew? Oh, sorry, bad language there. How much did Abraham know? How much did he understand of that which would be fulfilled through Jesus Christ our Lord? Well, it seems, according to the author of the book of Hebrews, he understood a lot. By faith, he understood a lot. By faith, he saw far into the future. Remember, Jesus said, Abraham saw my days and rejoiced. Abraham saw my days and rejoiced. By faith, Abram saw much. He understood much. He understood much of how the promises would be fulfilled. He understood much of the blessing in which you and I live and walk. My friends, all those blessings, remember? It it sort of falls like a shower of rain on the head of Abram. Even more fall upon us. Even more. Abram saw afar off. The days of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and that which God would accomplish through Jesus. And we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Jesus has accomplished. Jesus has done. We know that we are saved. We know that the blood was shed, that the body was broken. We know it's a fact. It's accomplished. It's done. We're blessed. Eternal life. It doesn't begin when we die. It's already begun. God is already our inheritance and our hope for the future. And we're already blessed beyond measure, yet there's more before us. More than we can think or imagine, says the Apostle Paul. More to come. Think of that. For all of eternity. For all of eternity. Now, I don't claim to to know nor understand the physicality of heaven nor how these things are going to unfold. But in my imagination, every day you wake up, you wake up and you say, you know, yesterday was the most blessed day of my existence and today there is more to come. Every day better than the previous one. 
Every moment, God building upon that which he has already given us. Can we get our heads around it? I don't think so. Not truly. But my friends, we should have hope. And we should be rejoicing in that hope. Because by faith we understand that God has made us his own through Jesus Christ our Lord and that we share in the faith of Abraham. What a blessing. What a blessing. God has done wonderful things for us. And we're going to have our communion meal. And let's remember, God has done wonderful things for us. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that when you have told us that you will do something, we, your people, can consider it done. We thank you and we praise you that that which you have said you would do, you have done, and that nothing, nobody, not anything, can deny you the accomplishment of your purposes and the revelation of your glory. Now, Father, we thank you and we praise you for the life that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you and we praise you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, may we rejoice in your goodness and your mercy toward us. And will you, not, will you bless the communion meal that we take here this morning? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.